greatness. Thank you for the wonderful worship we experienced. Thank you that because, Jesus, of what we talk about today, that it can be well with our souls. And if it is well with our souls, then we are well indeed. Well, thank you for every person who came today, God. Father, I believe that you called together a congregation. I, I know we think we make decisions whether to go to church or not that day. But I really believe you orchestrate and you put together congregations. And I know you have something for every person here today. It'll be different things for different folks. I want to pray, um, God, that what you have, the folks will receive. Holy Spirit, I want to pray that you will speak to hearts. We'll speak to hearts today. And if someone's here today and have never experienced the thing that makes it well with their soul, that today would be that day. If there's someone here who needs a word of encouragement about their own salvation, uh, may today be that day. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, we know you do all work. And so we're asking you to move throughout our congregation today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, hey, we are glad that you are with us today. Thank you so much for coming and being at Dorisville. We are in our series called Crosstalk, and we're kind of right, right toward the tail end of it. If you're coming uh, today and this is your first time here for the series, well, you're catching the end of the movie. And so let me just encourage you. I believe these are all posted uh, at Dorisville.com. There's a link there that says click here for sermons, and you can go back and listen to the entire series um, on the Internet. And let me encourage you to do that because I think some of the teaching that we have heard from Jesus on the cross is just very, very valuable stuff. You know, I noticed um, sometimes I watch, uh, I don't watch a lot of television. Usually if I do, it's something, a documentary or something. But every once in a while I'll watch a, a, a regular program. And I noticed like, for instance, on Designated Survivor, that was one that Gene and I kind of kept up with when it was on earlier this year. And in that series, I noticed the president would sometimes say, you know, come walk with me. And what that was, come have a chat with me, come walk with me. Well, I'm certainly not the president, but let me encourage you to come walk with me. Come walk with me. Let's walk over here to the very beginning when all this thing started that we've been studying for the last five or six weeks. Let's, let's start at the beginning where they nailed him to the cross and where he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Amazing forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he practiced what he preached. He, he was the one who said, if, you're, if your enemy uh, you know, slap your face, you're to turn the other cheek. And, and he was the one that taught that kind of actions. And then just a few minutes earlier on, the, on into the cross, we, we hear the criminals on both sides. And this criminal over here was screaming and shouting at Jesus, if you're the Christ, then why don't you come off the cross? Save yourself and save us. And then Jesus heard the other one say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then he said that second phrase. He said, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And then as he looked down from the cross, he saw some folks he knew. Over in distance, there were more. But right here, apparently, very close to the base of the cross was the apostle John and some ladies, one being his own mother, Mary. And Jesus, out of concern for others, and that's what he was about, he was always concerned for others. Jesus looks down and looks at his mother and says, woman. And again, I always like to say that's a term of endearment. It's not any disrespect. It was a term of honor. And he said, woman, behold your son, saying 
This man will now take care of you. And then he spoke to John. And he said, Behold your mother. Behold your mother. And even in the midst of his agony on the cross, he thought about others. And then, a little bit further over here, we come to that point where it's now noon, and the skies turn dark, darkness covers the face of the earth, and Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, Labasa, back to I, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we talked and learned how that for us, God the Father turned his back on his own son, something he will never do for his children. He will not abandon us. But that day, as Jesus became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, God turned his back on his own son. And then finally, last week, we went over here and we took that walk and we heard those two simple words, I thirst, I thirst. And that showed his humanity. And we talked about last week how that, that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And I, I know we can't understand that. It's like the Trinity. You just can't get your arms around the Trinity. You can try to explain it, but you can't. And we can't really understand how someone could be 100% God and yet 100% man. And yet Jesus was like no other. And he was exactly that. 100% God and 100% man. And then finally, all this takes place. These last three sayings take place. At 3 o'clock is when, when finally the darkness was about over and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And short time later he said, I thirst. And then he brings us to where we are today. And we start today in John chapter 19 and verse number 30, the first part. And he says these words. When Jesus had received the sour wine. Remember, he said, I thirst. Then they presented the sour, really, the vinegar to him. And again, it was not an act of compassion. It was just more of the same from these soldiers, the bitter wine. He said, it is finished. It is finished. That translates from the Greek, to telestai. To telestai. Three words in the English, one word in the Greek. Tetelestai. And really was not even a religious word. Uh, it's like often we take like the word, for instance, in the Bible, that trans- we translate the word church, okay, really was not a religious word. They used it in the Roman world, and any time there was a gathering of people, it was the ecclesia. It was the, a called-out group for a purpose. And when, when it became used in the Bible, it took on special meaning to not mean just any called-out group, but the called-out believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, when Jesus said this word to tell, to tell si, he was saying, it is finished. It took on a whole different meaning. It was like Waterloo. Waterloo. You know, when Lord Wellington met Napoleon there at Waterloo, and Wellington over, overcame and defeated the great Napoleon. That was, became known as a Waterloo. And you'll hear people say, you know, he faced his own Waterloo. It became a term of defeat um, for people and for situations. Well, when Jesus said this word, it takes on a whole different meaning. You know, for, for an artist back in those days, if an artist was painting a picture and he would get back, he would step back and realize that he had placed the last brush stroke, brush stroke on the painting. Any 
Anything more would not add but take away from that painting. And he would say to Telestai, it is finished. It is finished. When a, a uh, servant would be given a task by the master to do, the servant would go out and do whatever task it was, and he would come back and to the master, and the master would say, have you done what I assigned you to do? And the servant would say to Telestai, it is finished. It might be that a, a uh, judge in a courtroom would administer a sentence, and to indicate that the sentence was just, he would say, to tell us die. It is complete. The sentence is complete. It is right. It is just. And when the prisoner would come back in later on, after having served that sentence, the judge would then use that word, to tell us die, to say, you have completed your sentence. It is finished. You are now a free man. A, a merchant might use this. When, when he would take and sell something, he would give a bill of receipt. And the bill of receipt, he may hand it to the man and say, to tell us, die, it is finished. It is paid in full. You may take the merchandise. A soldier might say the word to tell us, die. He may say that word at the end of the battle when he is victorious. And basically he looks at the enemy and says, you are finished. The battle is over and you are finished. But the Lord Jesus Christ used it in an amazing way. He had come to earth to pay for and to purchase our salvation. He, he came to become sin that we could come become the righteousness of God. And that was going to require, of course, his death on the cross. We know that. The people didn't necessarily know that, but we know that. And when he cried out, it is finished, to tell us die, it was done. It was done. I told David this week, as I prepared to preach this message, of all the sayings of Christ on the cross, I thought this would be so easy. And I told him this week, I said, I'm really struggling with this message. And I think I know why. I think it's because of the simplicity. I mean, it really is finished. I mean, it's like you can say, good morning, here's the introduction. Let's read John 19, 30. When Jesus said he had received the wine, he said, it is finished, and let's go home. It's done. It's that simple. It's that complete. But I realize that we've got to grasp this, and we have got to understand it. Because, again, I honestly believe today, and frankly, throughout the centuries, but we today wrestle with the fact that it really is Done. That, that one more brushstroke to the artwork will ruin the artwork. Because we like so many, I, I was going to take time today and just share with you, you know, what different religions have done to the, to the work of Christ on the cross and realized it would just take too much time. But we like to add. We like somehow, I think somehow as, as Christians, as Baptists, if you don't mind me saying that, but as Christians, we, we want to somehow add something. And somehow we've got a, you know, it's like the installment plan. Yes, we're saved by grace, but then we've got to keep earning God's favor. We, we've got to do the maintenance plan. You know, we need, we need to do the maintenance plan on God's grace. We just got to keep like doing so God will still like us. That God will still show us favor. And of course, that's not true. It 
is finished, it's done. So I determined that what I needed to do today is to bore you. And you say, well, you do that every week, do I? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I fear I need to just give you like different angles of what this means for us. And maybe it won't be boring. I hope it won't. In fact, I pray that it won't. You know, there's a poet. I don't know if you, do you call a, a female poet a poetress? Probably not. Is, is a female poet just a poet? Rebecca, I'm looking at you. All right. See, I, I'm fixed. I'm really trying hard to impress my daughter. When this is all done, I want her to come up and say, Dad, you are very impressive today. That's, that's what I'm shooting for, okay? So anyway, so there's this poet female type person who I'm really starting good at our diet. <laughs> yeah, anyway, her name was Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And she lived from like 1806 to 1861. And guys, I want to help you here if you listen up, Okay. All right. You know, have you ever been in deep weeds with your wife? Okay. All right. Well, you have. Okay. She told me this week. Okay. So, so I'm going to help you here. Because here's what Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote in sonnet number 43. She said, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Sir, you get that going with your wife, and she's going to like you and love you. You're going to get fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and green beans every single night of your life. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. So I thought about it as I tell this story this morning. I said, I want to tell you the multiple ways. How do I love? How did Jesus love us? I want to tell the story from so many different angles that you start really believing that it's done, it's finished, and the greatest thing that God can ever do for you is not what He will do in the future, but it's what He did in your past the day you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and you were born again, and your sins were forgiven, and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit for all eternity. The greatest thing, the greatest thing that He'll ever do. But here's the danger. The danger is it will be boring. It will sound like the same thing from several different angles. But you know what I found out? You know, Judy, Judy and I, you know, I can honestly say we love each other. She does a better job than me, but we love each other. And she finds different ways. Like this morning. This morning, um, I normally eat breakfast a little bit later, and I, and I got a little bit earlier today for whatever reason. I went down and did my grits and eggs thing, you know, that I do. And it wasn't long before here she comes upstairs and, and a plate our, our eggs and bacon and some things, you know, on a platter. And, and I said, I've already eaten. And I said, but I'll tell you what, I'll eat that too. Now, yeah, that was wise, wasn't it? <laughs> and mama ain't raised no idiot. <laughs> But she said that, I love you. That's why she thought and cared enough to bring all that food all the way up to my man cave where I study for the messages. She said, I love you. The other day, I had some intestinal issues going on. Only at Dorsville do you hear that from the pastor. But we figured out, because I walk in the mornings and it's been very hot, I probably was dehydrated. So you know what she does? She goes gets in the car, she drives to Hux, she buys me three big old bottles of Powerade, you know, with electrolytes in it, to get me going again. 
And I said, Judy, thank you for loving me. I mean, how cool that she did that. When Anita and Nan drove down to Georgia, she said she loved them. You know how she did it? They don't drive much outside of Illinois. Matter of fact, if it's not between Carmine and Evansville, that's their world. And they drove all the way down to Georgia because Sarah and Blake are leaving for Korea. And that was a big deal. And they didn't know. They didn't trust the GPS. They didn't know how to do it. You know what she did? She spent a couple, three hours writing down detailed directions for them to get to Sarah's house, avoiding Nashville as best they could and Atlanta and the big cities. Why'd she do that? To show love for Sarah and Blake and for Nan and for Nita. So, so how can I love thee? Let me count the ways. Let me show the ways. Now, Elizabeth Barrett Browning also said this, and this is, this is really important today because, again, it will hopefully encourage you to listen when we finally get going to this message. You know, this is one of those times Jesus is going to say, that was a long introduction, Dwayne. It probably was. But, but listen to this. I've used this before. Earth, earth, is, earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around the bush and pluck blackberries. Today, I want you to know that heaven, earth is ablaze with heaven, with God's presence, and every bush is ablaze. And I want us to take our shoes off today. And that's a reference, of course, to the burning bush and your own holy ground. I want to take our shoes off. I don't want anyone here today to sit around and eat blackberries. I don't want anyone to say, well, I've heard this story before and I know these verses. No, let's take our shoes off and let's worship before holy God. Now, to do that, we need to start at looking, looking how we often view the forgiveness of sins. So our main scripture today, and we're going to look at, at scriptures from Hebrews chapter 10 and Colossians and 1 Peter. That's kind of where we're going to be going today. But in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrew kind of points a picture because, again, like us, we get confused about what can take away our sin. Now, you've got to understand, sin is a really big deal to God. It may not be a big deal to you. You say, what's up with a little, little lying and cheating? It's a big deal to God because God is holy, and He is the one that matters. So in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 11, the Bible says this, and every priest... Now, note the word here. Every priest stands daily, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, but which can never take away sin. The key word there is stands, because a priest activity, and this is speaking about the Old Testament sacrificial system, the priest activity was never done. There was no time to sit down because over and over again, he would offer these sacrifices. It would be an ox, it would be a bull, it would be a pigeon, it would be a lamb, it might be a goat. But over and over again, he would offer these sacrifices. Never done and never different. Let me read the verse to you again. And every priest stands because he's never done, he's never done, at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. How about that? It's a bloody mess, pun intended. 
It was just a bloody nest. We, we don't really understand when a family would bring in a young lamb that it raised from a, a baby and bring it in. And they would watch as the priest slit the lamb's throat and it bled out because there was a sacrifice for sin needed. It was a bloody mess. But the deal is, in Hebrews 10.4, just above that in the text, it says this, For it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This religious system that that God had orchestrated, it was all God, God had orchestrated it, but it did not have the ability to take away sin. I might say this, it could cover sin, but it could not cleanse sin. It could cover sin, it could take, well, Dwayne, if, if it never would do the job, then why did God give the sacrificial system? And the answer is this, it was a type, it was a picture of things to come. When I leave and Judy goes or I go away from Africa or something, you know, on my phone or in my wallet, I have pictures. And pictures are never as good as the real deal, but it's a great reminder. And the sacrificial system was a type looking forward to the cross. When, when God slayed the first animals in the Garden of Eden, when he slayed those animals and made the skins for Adam and Eve, he was looking forward to the blood that was going to be shed by the perfect lamb of God. Later on, when Abraham went up on the mountain was going, and God said, you need to sacrifice your son, and then God intervened and said, no, and there was a ram in the thicket. God provided the sacrifice. And as that ram was, was slain and the blood was shed, it was looking forward to the cross. When the, when the children of Israel were fixing to leave Egypt and, and God had said, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to sacrifice that lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. And when the death angel comes, he will pass over you. That blood of that lamb and that Passover was looking forward to today when the blood of Jesus Christ would be shed, the perfect lamb of God. And then finally, when the law was given and then, and then the, the sacrificials, every time, every time, every time a lamb was slain, an ox was slain, a goat was slain, a bird was slain. When the blood was spilled, it was looking forward to the day when the Lamb of God would shed His blood. And that's why God gave the sacrificial system. Again, it could cover sin, but it could not remove, it could not cleanse sin. And Again, this is one place we're going to jump. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18, we, we kind of get a look at, at, at what we, some things that we want to, to substitute for the blood of Christ. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, 18, For you know that you were redeemed. Now, he says that to remind us, hey, you're redeemed. You, you're blood bought. You're bought back. You're bought back. You're redeemed. For you redeemed from your empty way of life. Oh, Paul's there. If you've forgotten, just ask God to remind you what your life was like before Jesus. It'll make you very appreciative of what Jesus is doing for you today. When you remember what your life was really like before Jesus, how empty it was, you'll appreciate the blood of Jesus Christ more. So you know you're redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold. 
Not with perishable things like so. You know, you can't buy this wonderful gift. You you can't buy this wonderful gift. You can't somehow say, "Hey, God, let's let's make a deal." You know, let me bargain with you. Um, I'll give ten. I'll give twenty. I'll give thirty percent. If 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 you know, if I can go to heaven, I'll do this. I'll go to church. I'll do. You you try to buy the favor of God, and you can't do it. You're, you, he says, you're not redeemed with things that we value, like silver or like gold. And then he goes on and says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, says this, Know that no one is justified by the works of the law. That's our favorite. That's our favorite. You ask anybody on the street, how do you get to heaven? Oh, you're good. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's just the way it is. If you want to go to heaven, you got to do good. I'm telling you, somehow that works into our theology. Yeah, we believe that we are saved by what happened here, but then somehow we shift gears and we say, now, if I'm going to maintain my favor with God, I've got to perform. I'm like a puppet on a string, like a monkey with a guy cranking out the organ. If I perform well, I remain in God's favor. If I don't, I fall from God's favor. Where did you get that theology? Where did you get that theology? This whole thing was about God's grace. The whole thing was about God's grace. So, so, you know, know that no one is justified by works of the law. So, Dwayne, if the the religious system, the sacrificial sacrificial system could not could not take away sin. Dwayne, if I can't buy God's favor by doing and by, or, and by, by donating and by giving and by serving, and if the keeping of the law doesn't do it, how do I gain God's favor? Well, fortunately, the author of Hebrews tells us. In Hebrews 10, 12, he says this, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Isn't that beautiful? It's just full of typology. When Christ had, had offered for all time, Paul's offered for all time. Whatever, whatever he's fixed to say about Jesus was an all-time deal, which means we go all the way back to the garden when Adam and Eve looked forward to the cross by receiving the skins, by receiving the skins that God had made for them, looking forward to the cross. And you go back way over here to as far as you can go to somewhere where the last person is saved when this thing winds down, when it's all done, and everything in between for all time, Christ offered one sacrifice. Dude, that's a good sacrifice. No matter how, again, if you sit there and go, boy, I'm one good dude. You know, God didn't have to extend a lot of grace for me. Or maybe you're the one who says, boy, God has extended a lot of grace for me. I am one bad dude. Wherever you put yourself in between, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he offered one sacrifice for all time. A single sacrifice. And then he sat down. I love that. I bet there's 16 Southern Gospel songs written about he sat down. I mean, that's just good, that's just good terminology. He sat down. You know, now, remember, the priest didn't have time to sit down. Remember? Remember we read in the first scripture? The priest repeatedly, over and over again, 
He stood in his place of activity. He stood because there was no time to sit down. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Day after day after day. Animal after animal after animal. Jesus offers one sacrifice here. And then he goes and he sits down at the place of authority at the right hand of the Father. Done and done. Honey, I'm going out to mow the grass. All right. An hour later, the wife comes in. There's the husband sitting in the chair. What are you doing sitting here? I thought you were going to mow the grass. To tell us die. It is finished. Honey, when's supper going to be ready? She goes, to tell us die. It is finished. Hey, son, go clean your room. You come back and he's sitting there and you go, I thought you were going to clean your room. I told you to clean your room. But dad, to tell us die. It is finished. And when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, it was done. It was done. Listen, can't add nothing. Anything you add to this recipe is going to spoil the pot. You don't need to add works. You don't need to add your money. You don't need any of that stuff. I'm telling you, it is done. He sat down. And what's he doing up there? Well, he's doing several things. But the author of Hebrews in verse 13 says, He's waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool under his feet or for his feet. You know what he's waiting for? He's got a little bit of unfinished business. Because, as Brother David Nave sang in that song as well, My Soul, he's coming back. And he's coming back to take those who know him in a thing called the rapture. He's going to first resurrect those dead in Christ. And if you're alive when he comes back, you're going to be translated up into heaven. All right? Then, then, he's going to, we're going to go out to heaven for a while. And then he's going to come back. He's got a little bit more unfinished business. He's going to take care of business with Satan. That dude, <laughs> he may have thought, when he, saw, when he saw the Son of God hanging on the cross, he said, I won. Oh, no. He lost. <laughs> he lost. And he's got a little bit of unfinished business to take care of. Jesus does because he's going to bind up the old evil one. He's going to bind up Satan. And he's going to take him and cast him in the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And he's going to make all things new. Hang on. The, sh- the end of the show is pretty good. It is finished. He goes on and says this. Verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected. Now, you can leave here and say that I said this. Next time your wife says you're not perfect and you're a believer in Jesus, you tell her, yes, I am. Next time, students, next time your parents say, well, you're not perfect, you say, in Jesus, yes, I am. Now, you're not perfect in your actions. You're not perfect in your performance. But you're perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has perfected for all... For how long? For how long? For all time. 
Man, when you are saved, you are sealed. You're perfected for all time. Who? Those who are being sanctified. I wrote this down. His once for all becomes our once for all. His once for all becomes our once for all. Now let's go back and look real quick. Let's go back and look real quick at 1 Peter chapter 1. Because I know you're going, well, he didn't finish the verse. There's a reason. In 1 Peter 1.18, remember this one? For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold. Remember that verse? Here's the rest of it. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. You're not made perfect by, by silver or gold or something perishable. You're made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you remember when, when John was staying there with a couple of his disciples and Jesus came walking by at the very beginning of his ministry and John said, John the Baptist said, hey, hey, look, look, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. You remember Galatians 2.16? Remember that one? Know that no one is justified by the works of the law. Remember that? We just talked about that. Here's the rest of the verse. But by faith in Jesus Christ. How are you justified? By faith in Jesus Christ. Not by going to church. Not by being baptized. Not by what you give to the church. Not by doing good for others. How are you justified? How are you declared right before God? By faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified or declared right by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Isn't that powerful? Are you start, now again, don't start picking blackberries. Don't you do it. Don't you start picking blackberries. You think about this. And you talk about the man who hung on the cross. And because of his sacrifice, you have been declared right before God. And let me just make myself really clear in case I've muddled the water. And nothing, nothing can change that once you've been declared right. Nothing can change that once you've been declared right. Because what God declares, you can't change, your neighbor can't change, your wife can't change. And God says in Christ, you are declared right. Over in Colossians chapter 1, this is our little visit to Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Once you were alienated, you know what that word means? estranged. If your marriage goes south and you're living apart from one another, you are estranged one to another. Unfortunately, sometimes there are children and parents who in their adult lives become estranged. They're separated. They're strangers one to another. And Paul in Colossians says, once you were estranged from God, and then worse than that, it was a hostile in your mind. Not only were you a stranger, you were an enemy with God. And then because of your evil actions. Because of your evil actions. But now. But now. He has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. He has reconciled you. He, you are estranged from God. You're an enemy with God. And by the death on the cross, he has reconciled you. He has brought you back with him. Are you getting this? 
You are estranged and separated. You're an enemy of God. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, you were brought back together. See, you've heard of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. Well, Jesus is the reconciler. He brings broken, broken sinners back into fellowship with God. How? 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 By the blood that was shed on his cross. This was no cheap deal. It cost God His Son. It cost God His Son. He goes on and says this, But now He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy. Holy. The word means set apart, but it's like, it's like first cousins to saint. saint. See, saints just aren't dead people. Paul said in, in, in Corinthians, he said, to the saints at Corinth. Man, you're a saint. If you know Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Somebody say, I'm a saint. A little more say it. I'm a saint. And you are. Not because of your performance. Not because you earned it. But because God declared it. Because God declared it. You are holy, faultless, free from accusation. That's what the word faultless means. Free from accusation. Listen, I don't care. I don't care if it's your neighbor, your wife, who it is, the preacher, the deacons, whoever it is. They want to point their finger at you and accuse you. By God's grace, the one who could accuse you will not. The one who could accuse you will not. Because he says he has presented you faultless, free from accusation and blameless. Without blemish. I don't, we got wards. We got wards. You don't want your girlfriend to have wards if you're holding hands with her, but, but we got wards. But I want you to understand this. Listen, listen, listen. Don't pick blackberries. Don't pick blackberries. I want you to understand this. When God the Father looks at you, He sees you free of accusation and blameless. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Are you, are you grabbing it? That's so huge. Because that was, see, let me tell you why that's big. That way when Satan comes knocking at your door, he comes knocking at your door saying, you did yakety yak, yakety yak. Say, Satan, go on. I'm declared right by God. And last time I checked, you are a wimp in the sight of God. When the, when the Father declares us right, Satan's accusations are meaningless. Meaningless. He goes on and says this. Finally, back in Hebrews, and we're done. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. This, this is like assurance time. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. How do, you, wait, how do I know I'm justified? How do I know I'm made right? The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the first thing he said, this is the covenant that I will make with them, make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Wearsby does a great job with this, one of the writers I read. And he brings this out and says this, we can know personally that we're redeemed. We can know we're personally redeemed by what is written in the word of God. Now, that's big. How many of you guys have woke up in the middle of the night and not felt very saved? How many of y'all have ate some bad seafood 
and you're heaving in the toilet, and you said, boy, I don't feel very safe right now. How many of y'all have ever stumped your toe, smashed your finger with a hammer? Did you feel very safe at that moment? Yeah. Guess what? Write this down. Feelings don't count. You're not saved because you feel saved. Woo-hoo! You are saved because the Word of God declares it. Come on now. Come on. You are saved because the Word of God declares you are saved if you've trusted Christ as Savior. Write that down. Burn it in your heart. The Holy Spirit brings it to our minds and into our hearts and says, I've written this stuff on them. He goes on and says this. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And buddy, if he says it, he means it. If he says it, he means it. And Micah 7, 19, it says three things there. He says, I, he will, God, God will have compassion. God will subdue our iniquities. And he will cast our sin into the depths of the sea. Over in Psalm 103:12, he says this. As far as the east is from the west, has he thrown away our transgressions. He will remember your sins no more. Now, the problem is we do remember them. And that's when you've got to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Say, God, help me to put the past in the past. I said something Sunday night a week or two ago, and it spoke to my heart. Because you know what we do? We, we, we regurgitate the past. And we feel all this guilt over things in the past. A past that, by God's grace, doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, if he truly has forgotten... For the purpose of the penalty, if he's forgotten my sins, that junk it doesn't even exist anymore in the eyes of God. So don't, don't allow the past to eat your lunch. Don't allow the past to destroy your present. Put it where God put it, in the sea, in the depths of the sea, or as far as the east is from the west. And then he says these last words, and this will close. Where there is forgiveness of these, of sins. Verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. You want to know why you don't have to have a repeat sacrifice if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Because the single sacrifice was enough. Read it again. Where there is forgiveness of these... Where, where these, the sins, are cast as far as the east is from the west, when these, the sins, are cast into the depths of the sea, there's no longer an offering for sin. Don't need one. Why don't you need one? Because once they're forgiven, they're forgiven. See, I, I've, I've referenced husbands and wives a lot because they're such good examples, and I happen to be in one in that relationship. But, you know, it's amazing how that, you know, I'll, you ask Judy, I'm really good at saying I'm sorry. And sincerely, too. I, that's just one thing I don't, I, if I did it, I did it. So I may say I'm sorry. But then Judy's got to do something. She's got to be willing to forgive and lay it aside. You know, not Judy. Not Judy. Have you ever heard stories about a husband will say, I'm sorry, the wife will say, I'm sorry, and three weeks later, yeah, well, I remember when you did such and such. 
And you say, I thought that was forgiven. Yeah, but it's not forgotten. Not so with God. Done. Done and done. Finished. To test a lie. Finished. On the cross. On the cross. Now, if you are not a believer today, if, if you're not a Christian, if you've never come to this point, you know, you always try to figure out a way of saying it to make sure you get it. You know, salvation in heaven and forgiveness has so little to do with church. In fact, salvation has nothing to do with church. If you will today acknowledge the fact that you sinned, the Bible says everyone has sinned, and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that his sacrifice paid the penalty for your sin, so that you can be reconciled, you can be brought back to God, and turn from that to follow Christ. You can have a new relationship day with God like you never had before. And you can have the assurance that your sins are forgiven, and heaven is your home. That's yours. If you're here today, and that's already happened in your life, and that's a chunk of us, that's most of us, I hope you didn't eat blackberries. I really hope you took your shoes off today. Because some of us really wrestle with the past. Some of us really wrestle with the past. And we allow the past to beat us up. We let our past failures beat us up. I hope today you took your shoes off. And you worshipped. And now you better understand that when he said it's done... It's done. When he says finished, it's finished. Let me just lay it real, real clear. Once you have trusted in Christ, you will never lose God's favor. Never lose God's favor. Why? How's that possible? By the blood, by his amazing grace, and not your performance. And not your performance. Would you bow your heads right there, please? Well, I hope this made sense today. We need to be so grateful for what Jesus did for us. For the glorious sacrifice of the cross. If you're here today, and again, you've been searching for something. You've tried the Baptists and the Catholics and the Methodists and Pentecostals, the non-dominationals, the Lutherans and Episcopalians. And you come up short every time. Well, I need to tell you, you can add Baptists to that list. But you can't add Jesus. Jesus, if you come with an authentic heart, will meet you, love you, and forgive you if you ask him to. And my friends will be down here at the altar. My friend Brent's going to be down here. We would love to explain to you more detail what that means. I try to today, but if you've got questions, we'll try to answer those questions today. Coming to relationship with Holy God is the, is the greatest thing, the only thing that really matters in life. So Brent will down front. Just come in a moment. We're going to sing. When we stand up, just step out and say, Hey, Brent, I want to know how I can have the assurance that I've been forgiven and that I can come and call God Father. We want to explain that to you more. If you're here today and you've done that, and you've done that, rejoice in the forgiveness and the grace that is yours. Take off your shoes 
and worship. God, I thank you very much for the privilege that's ours today to share this truth. And, oh, Lord, I can only pray you'll take my muddled words and make them clear to the hearts of the people. What a wonderful, wonderful truth it is. May we celebrate today what Jesus Christ has done for us. To tell us die, it is finished. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.